So today we get to continue in our series, First Things First. Um, we get to unpack, I guess, probably one of my favorite uh, memory verses. It's probably one of my first memory verses that I ever learned as a, as a child. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Does that, I mean, just go back to when you, if you were 10 years old and you're, you're memorizing that verse for the very first time. Does that seem like a pretty cool verse? I mean, as a kid, as a 10-year-old kid, it's like I, I asked my parents for a lot of stuff and they did not give it. But if I asked God for something, man, he's, he says, ask and it will be given to you. That was super exciting. I'm like, God, I want a bike. You know? God, I, like, I don't, I don't want to have liver for dinner, you know. I want to play with my friends all weekend. I don't want any homework. God, I want these things. I ask and it will be given to me. And guess what never happened? I didn't get the bike. I didn't ever get out of homework. Like, it just didn't happen. And even as a young adult, you know, being young in the faith, looking at this verse without uh, any context can lead to uh, many, um, many days of letdowns as a young believer. God, I, I want to be debt free. I, I want this. I, I, I don't really like my job. I want to get in this particular field. I, I want that. I want a new car. I remember 20-ish years old, okay? This, this, I'm sure there are other guilty parties of this kind of absurdity, all right? I'm going to share a story. I'm going to be transparent, all right? Do not make fun of me. But everybody remembers the, you know, the Monopoly game at McDonald's, right? I need, everybody got Park Place. Anybody ever get boardwalk, right? I literally sat in my car one day with, the, with this, the, the, the peel stickers on this cup, and I'm like, God, I want boardwalk. Please give me boardwalk. This will save my life. I, I, have, I have put myself in financial ruins. God, I need this. Monopoly, monopoly, boardwalk. No, God didn't give it to me. Ever been there? That kind of like thing? Anybody ever be? Uh, any ever? Anybody ever be? That's like all right. Has ever? Has anyone ever been guilty of treating God like he's a genie in the bottle? Yeah. This morning, I think we'll get to take a little journey through. Scripture to see how God continues to give to His people, and even when it's not reciprocated, God continues to give grace and mercy and love and shows nothing but patience time and time again. Uh, in Scripture we see it, and I know that we see it in our own lives. Patience. But before we dive in, let's go to the Lord in prayer and feel free to pray along with me the disciples' prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So let's, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7 as we continue in this Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 7, we're going to pick up our reading in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which, of, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Verse 12, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Does, that, does verse 12 seem familiar to you? Is that something like they, ta- I don't know, do they still do this? Those that have kindergartners, do they still teach the golden rule in school? I mean, we may have gotten way, way far from that, but it's the do unto others as you would like them to do to you. Man, they're still teaching biblical values in school. That's encouraging, right? Yeah. So the key point this morning, and this is a visual that I want want everyone to look at. Does anybody know what this is? A sawzall, all right? That's the original name of this tool. What what is it also known as? A reciprocating saw, and this goes back and forth, right? So the main, uh, the key point this morning is there's a two-way response to the gospel, God's desire is to have the love he shows us, what? Reciprocated, right? In, back. So we're going to take a couple looks, or a few looks, some various points in Scripture where we see God giving and God giving and God giving, and sometimes it's not always reciprocated in the way that he would expect. You can turn your Bibles here. You don't have to because we're going to be in a, a various places. But we're going to start with a little bit of a, a look at Adam and Eve. All right, So we're going to go way back. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 through 25. I'll always give the references, but you're going to have to have fast fingers if you're going to keep up with all the scripture we're going to be in this morning. So, But it's all right. So Genesis chapter 2. Uh, verses 15 through 25 says this, The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely what? die. 
Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. There he goes giving. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Why did he think of hippopotamus? Like I'm just saying, just saying. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. Thank you, Jesus, for a woman. And brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because he was taken, or she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And I'm fairly confident that everyone in this room knows a little bit of scripture enough to go back to Genesis chapter 2 and 3 and you know what happens next, right? They had one commandment. Do you wish that like, you could live your life with just one rule? Just one. You only get one, you get one rule. Do you think you could keep that one rule? No. Probably not, right? right? It's that thing that's in front of you. Like, you don't do that and you're going to do that. It says you can eat of every tree in the garden, right? But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you will not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Have you ever put much thought into that? God said if you eat of it, you will surely die. God knew what had happened. God knows what was happening. And he knows what's going to happen, right? He knows everything from beginning to end. For God to give such a command, he also knew that they couldn't fix what was going to be broken. He knew that when he uttered this commandment that it would start a ticking time clock of sending his only son, Jesus, to be the once and for all perfect sacrifice that could send his creation from a trajectory to death to that of life. Setting things back in order, giving shalom back to the earth, putting it back in order like it was initially in the garden. That was a pretty heavy statement. As a parent, we always had this rule. As parents, we always had this rule with our kids. If we, if we said, if you do that one more time, I'm going to fill in the blank. Did it ever come with some regret sometimes? It's like, we, we, you, they were on our last nerve. If you do that one more time, we're going to... And then they did it one more time. Ah, my son did did something when he was 16 and I said if you do that one more time I'm going to 
cut your driver's license up into a thousand pieces and throw it in your face. Thank the Lord he never did it one more time. <laughs> as soon as it came out of my mouth, though, I'm like, that was stupid. <laughs> he said, we lock, we screw up all the time. Just what happens. <laughs> All right, we we're going to jump over to Judges, but we, we're not going to do any reading in Judges. We're just going to sort of take a, take a, a little bit of a, a glimpse of it. So for, for me, Judges is a love-hate book of the Bible. I love it because for the most part, it's organized in a way that you can see the various cycles of the relationship between God and his people. You, you find yourself captivated in the book of Judges by them screwing up, right? sin, facing the consequences of their screw-up, they, they get put under captivity, and then they cry out for help, as we always do when we're in trouble, God help me, and then what does God do? God sends a rescuer, a judge, and he saves them and brings them out of their captivity, sends that to them, and then after they're pulled out of their captivity, they're all good, so they become comfortable, and guess what happens? They fall right back into the pattern of sin again. And then what do they do? They get put under captivity. And then they, God, please help. Then he sends a deliverer. And then they become complacent again. Anybody ever done this in their own life? Right? But we see this over and over again. And I think to myself, how can the people of Israel be so stupid can't they see the pattern you did it this time he sent this why not just i don't know obey his commandments and follow after him instead of going back to the false gods anybody ever think how dumb the israelites were come on it's okay i love the people of israel <laughs> but you know i've been wandering around the desert for 40 years seemed pretty stupid to me God gives and gives and gives, and they can't even reciprocate for, you know, more than a few days, it seems like. Now, I hate the book of Judges because I can too easily look in the mirror and find it relatable to my own life. I find it relatable to your life. I find it relatable to people that I come into contact even outside of the church. We screw up, don't we? We face consequences, don't we? We cry out for God, to God for help, don't we? And what is he always faithful to do? At least in my life, he's always faithful to pull me from the brink of my disaster that I created. Thank the Lord, right? And guess what I, I typically always do? I make another dumb choice and puts me right back into the place where I'm crying out for help. So then when I say the Israelites are stupid, I look in the mirror and say, Wheelock, you're an idiot. Why do you do that? This happens seven times in the book of Judges, except for the when, when Samson comes on scene in, in chapter 13. In chapter 13, the, the, the people of Israel just stopped crying out for help. That was it. But the question is, was God done with them? Did 
did he give up on him? No. Because a king was coming. There was, there, there was something to look forward to. The time clock was still ticking, and he would continue to bless his people. He would, he would continue to give, give them grace card after grace card. He would continue to show love to them. He continued to exhibit patience. Now, move to the king. Small face okay, king, David, all right? First Samuel. So in First Samuel, chapter 13, verse 14, Samuel tells the first king of Israel, Samuel is the prophet, the, the judge at the time, and he tells the first king of Israel, Saul, that his kingdom would not continue. If you're king of Israel and you hear from the judge, hear from the prophet that your kingdom is not going to continue, wouldn't that be a little bit, like, sad? Would it irritate you a little bit? And he not only did he said, and that the Lord had sought out a man after his own heart. Hang on to that one, right? The Lord sought out a man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel 16, 10 through 13, says that the, the prophet Samuel came to the house of a man named Jesse from the town of Bethlehem. And it, and it says, starting in verse 10, And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him. For we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy. Is that a good like description of someone? Ruddy? Is that, was, is that a... I don't know. Ruddy. <laughs> it's not, right? It's like, he's ruddy. But he's ruddy. <laughs> but he had beautiful eyes and he was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil... And anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. First Samuel 17 is a very familiar story with David against the giant Goliath. And God gives him the victory. God anointed David. God gave David this this victory over this giant. It was a boy versus a giant. It was, it was a, a, a slingshot with stones versus a sword and a spear. But yet God gave David victory and he showed up in a pretty big way, right? We remember that story. 1 Samuel 18 through 31, David from that point on through the remainder of 1 Samuel is running from King Saul because, well, it perturbed him that this young Buck was going to be the next king. King Saul had a pride problem, and so God, time and time again, gave David the ability to <laughs> escape. He was an elusive one. He was a ninja, like, you know, stealthy, right, Carlo? He had a black shirt on, too. <laughs> he continues to show up for David until Saul killed himself in a battle with the Philistines. So 2 Samuel comes along, 
in chapter 2, David is anointed king of Judah. In chapter 5, David is anointed king of all of Israel. Gave him the keys to the kingdom. 2 Samuel 7, the, the prophet Nathan at this point, shares with David what God is going to do through him and for him in his kingdom. And this was the prayer from David's heart in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Starting in verse 18. Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you, and there is no God besides you. According to all that we have heard with our ears, and who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth, whom God, whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people, Israel, to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken, and your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house, therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Does that sound like a, like a, that sounds like a reciprocation, right? It's acknowledging that he is giving and he is giving and he's giving. And I'm going to give back and bless my household forever and ever. And just a few chapters later, David, the man after God's own heart, who poured his soul out to him, becomes too comfortable and slides into becoming what? An adulterer. And a murderer. That doesn't sound like really good reciprocation, does it? But God gives and he wants to receive back, but yet we mess up. But was God done with him? Did God give up on him? No. Because the king, the capital K king, was coming. The time clock was still ticking, and he would continue to bless his people and would continue to give grace and love and exhibit all the patience. Don't 
you wish we had the kind of patience that God does? One more as we fast forward. Back to Matthew chapter 4. This is this guy named Peter. Peter is one of my favorite disciples. Because this guy messes up, I think, more than I do. So, like, I'm like, yeah, that's one of my favorite sites in Israel to go to. Is the site which commemorates Peter's, you know, mistakes. But God continues to give him grace. So Matthew chapter 4, 18 through 20. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Peter, this, this mere fisherman called by the Son of God to come and follow him. It's pretty significant, right? Called by Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter got, got one right here. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Wow. Not only did the Son of God call Peter to follow him, he says to Pete, who just recognized him for being the Messiah, he knows who he truly is. This is the one that's been prophesied for ages. Peter recognizes him for who he is. He says, I tell you, Peter, you, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you think, like, Pete, that was a confidence booster to old Pete, right? The guy that's always messing up, finally he gets one right, he gets the star put on his chest. Yeah. Matthew chapter 26, after a whole lot of other things happen, after Jesus' betrayal and arrest, it says, now Peter was sitting outside in the court, and the servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't, I don't know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with a nose. I, I promise, I don't know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. That'll get you every time. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, Dang it, I don't know this man! And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus before the rooster crows, You will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. 
Was God done with him? Did he give up on him? <laughs> no. Isn't that encouraging? That we can see time and time again that God doesn't give up on us, even though we don't all the time reciprocate. But we see in Peter's life, in John chapter 21, this scene, Jesus sitting on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, having a barbecue, fish barbecue, not pork. I would have had pork, but no. He's eating breakfast with his disciples, and he has this intimate conversation with Peter. Jesus asked him three times if he loved him, and each time Peter says, of course I love you. And each time Jesus gives him a charge that says, feed my sheep, Peter. Tend my sheep, Peter. Feed my sheep, Peter. He still, through all of this stuff that Pete did and through the denial of Jesus himself, Jesus still had given Peter purpose and he gave him potential. That was a confidence booster on that day too. Time and time again we see in scripture and in our own lives, God giving blessing after blessing, right? Grace card after grace card. Have you ever been given a grace card? I've been given way too many grace cards. He shows immeasurable love that never ends. Isn't that encouraging? And the patience that God himself gives is like no other. What he wants is for us to not only acknowledge him, but to reciprocate that which he gives us. Blessing is taking that which he gives us and not like keeping it for ourselves, right? Hoarding it. I am blessed. I am blessed. See me? I am blessed. No. A blessing is that which gives him honor and glory. Grace is accepting from him what we don't deserve and honoring through giving out grace upon grace to others who need to hear this story of a gracious Jesus. Love is meeting a need when there's a need, expecting nothing in return. It's to be shown to everyone that we come into contact with. But it also should be given back to God, right? Love him, serve him, give to him. Is this hard? Expecting nothing in return. Do you find yourself falling into the pattern where we love God but we want something back? Right? Patience, the same thing. Have patience with those who drive us absolutely bonkers. But also learn to wait on God. Show Him the same kind of patience that He has shown you time and time again. Think back on your life and how patient God has been with you. I know he's my, my, I'm ridiculous. I know that I am. My wife can attest to this. God continues to give. Ask, give, knock leads to him answering, giving, or opening the door, but blessing doesn't come from this action. Blessing only comes when it has a two-way reciprocal action. That main, that key point, there's a two-way response to the gospel. God's desire is to have the love he shows reciprocated. 
before we close, there's some questions that I want to pose as we reflect on these. How have you been using what God has blessed you with to bring glory to him? Your vehicle, your home, your job, your family, your education, whatever it is. Is there someone in your life who has wronged you, maybe in a pretty significant way, that you need to show grace to? sometimes really tough. Do you find yourself meeting needs where there are needs, expecting something back? I need praise. I need acknowledgement. I need a return gesture. Sometimes it doesn't happen. Have you expected God to supply your needs or answer your prayers in your timing? Maybe we need to learn to patiently wait on him because his timing is perfect. And I know that's a tough one, but it's absolutely true. God's timing is always perfect. Amen? Will you pray with me? Lord, it is you who we acknowledge this morning. It is only because of what you have done for me that I even have a snowball's chance in hell to reciprocate that to you. You continue. You continue to show me so much grace. You continue to show me love that never ends. You're so patient. Lord, when I ask, I, 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 I know that you'll give it to me in your timing, in your way. I know that when I seek, I know I'll find. You'll show it to me, again, in your timing and how you want to. And when I knock, the door will be open to me. I have no idea what's behind the door. You do. Thank you for time and time in Scripture that we can see your people getting and getting and getting, and you continue to give, give, give. And even when we mess up, even when we don't always reciprocate, you're going to keep giving. Thank you for Lord, help us to recognize our need to reciprocate. Help us to recognize that the gospel is only going to be effective if we're giving back. It's not about receiving Jesus. It's about giving Jesus, being the hands and feet of Jesus, inviting our neighbors to meet and follow Jesus. Thanks for loving us today. In Jesus' name.